We're the, on the second Sunday of our uh, sermon series for July, Summer in the Psalms. We're looking over this month at five different psalms that each of those psalms happens to reference a particular spiritual habit. Um, and so last week we were in Psalm 1, and the spiritual habit was uh, delighting in study. This morning we'll be in Psalm 5, and the spiritual habit we'll take a look at is bowing down in prayer. Bowing down in prayer. It could be that in this room there are a number of folks who have what they sense is just a robust prayer life, and that they feel as though it's really grown over the past years, and, and they look forward to praying, and, and it's just so full and full of texture and depth. Then there may be a number of us, when we think about prayer life, we, we're, um, we're not so sure. Maybe our prayer lives are, uh, we feel like they might be dry or that they become rote, maybe even non-existent. Maybe we have that pattern in our prayer life where, where we tend to pray when things get tough. Otherwise, we're fine with just how things uh, go, the way we manage them. Well, when it comes to prayer, there have been reflections on the topic and the exercise of prayer over the centuries of the church. And so as we begin our investigation into prayer this morning, let's uh, open our, uh, our minds, our thoughts, our consideration to the words of others who have come before us. During the 16th century, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. The very thing we are called to do. If we were to jump forward two centuries to the 18th century, to the, um, uh, even here in the Americas, Jonathan Edwards, the revivalist preacher, the great theologian, here's what he had to comment. He said, there is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. Finally, let's jump to the 20th century. A name we mentioned just a couple of Sundays ago, Corey Tenboom, who helped to rescue people from the Holocaust, who uh, was a, a missionary, an author, a Christian speaker. What wings are to a bird and sails to a ship, so is prayer to the soul. Can you picture that? How in prayer the wind of the Spirit catches us forward. And so this morning, we will talk about prayer. And whether yours is an abrose, a, 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 a very full uh, prayer life, uh, a robust prayer life, or if you arrive here today and you sense your own prayer life is a little dry, I believe God would have something for us this morning. Before we read our text, let me make a comment about posture of prayer. In Scripture, we find descriptions of people taking different postures with their body as they pray. Some people will lie flat, will lay flat out, uh, lie flat out on the ground. Others, we're told, uh, will bow themselves in prayer. Others will sit in prayer or kneel in prayer. Some will stand in prayer. We find descriptions of people face down to the ground and others whose arms and eyes are up to the heavens. 
the big teaching on prayer when it comes to posture has less to do with the physical posture, but the posture of the heart. Do we come to God with a heart that desires uh, God's goodness? Do we come to God with a heart that is full of humility, a, a heart that acknowledges God to be who God is? In terms of our particular prayer that we're going to look at, the context of David's prayer, this psalm, Psalm 5, we find that he is praying because of enemies in his life. We'll look at some words that talk about people who speak lies about him, that are deceiving, that seek his ruin. And it may be that you arrive here today and you have no perception of an enemy in your life. It turns out that what I believe we can experience and learn from Psalm 5 this morning can actually be applied to all kinds of situations, whether we have enemies or whether we're celebrating something, uh, some challenge before us, a longing, whatever it might be. With all this in mind, let's go ahead and read our text, Psalm 5. We have Bibles in the rows. If you want to use those, we'll put the words on the screen. And if you're participating in worship at home, we encourage you to have your Bible with you as well. Hear the word of God. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful person. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. May God bless the reading of his word. May God bless each one of us as we come under his word even today. So you may have noticed that as we were reading the psalm, there is an intentional structure to it. Often as we find in poetry that when we step back and look at it, not only is the experience up close wonderful, but when we step back, we see an intentionality. And so here we find uh, the first, third, and fifth stanzas to share something in common, that they speak something to the relationship that David, and here when we say David, a psalm of David, it really could be, have been written by David. Some will also describe that some of these psalms have been assigned to David at a later time. This morning, we'll refer to it as a psalm 
that David wrote that it speaks to his situation. And so he talks about his relationship with God in the first, third, and fifth stanzas. And then he talks more about his issue, his particular issue with enemies in stanzas two and four. Right in the middle of the psalm, there are these words, bowing down, bow down, that David bows down in reverence or in fear of the Lord. And that posture is actually being, as it's being described in the middle of the psalm, is the perspective of the entirety of the psalm. David, as he enters into this prayer, as he calls the congregation into this prayer, from beginning to end, it's one of bowing down. Today, we're going to look at the five different stanzas. We're going to have five gleanings. Please know that this is not a psalm that says, here is how you should pray when you have enemies in your life. It's not that. We get to enjoy it. It's, meant to, it's a psalm worthy of just simply being a prayer all by itself. And yet, when we take a look, when we reflect upon it, there can be gleanings. For some of us, all five pieces that we'll take a look at will, will be something that we'll want to add, maybe even just follow this pattern for some of our prayers. Others in the room may find that there is a single aspect of what we discover that simply by adding that to our own prayer life, we feel like we might be able to open additional doors in our own conversations with God. And so, to the first of the five gleanings, bowing down with voice. Bowing down with voice. This is in verses 1 through 3. We might ask ourselves, in how many relationships do we feel like we have voice? Where our voice matters. Where we feel we can speak up, whether it's at home or at work or out in the community, where we can speak and we believe we'll be heard, that what we have to say, others will want to hear. Bowing down with voice. You know, the Bible is consistent on people having voice in prayer. That God calls us into a relationship in which this, this, uh, this eternal being, the, the one who created all things, says to his creatures, to us, and welcomes us into conversation. We're even in places instructed to pray, to be in conversation, to have that voice. Let's go back over the passage itself. would invite you to pay attention, what are the words that David himself uses to describe his voice? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. David's words, David's groanings, his mutterings, his, his not even being able to put his words together yet, this deeper sense of, uh, of being able to uh, speak out without having to watch and guard all the words, but these groanings coming forward, his cries, his desperation before God, his, his speaking out, there is voice. There is voice. There is permission to speak before the Lord. But we also know in this part of the psalm that there is a relationship. There's this voice in a relationship. It's not just an empty voice speaking into nothing, but it's a voice speaking to the one. 
And so David says, O Lord. David says, my king and my God, which is substantial. If, if you were alive at the time and you were a Hebrew, David would have been your king. And here the king is saying to his king, the king of kings, the great God, there's a relationship where David is acknowledging that there is absolutely one greater than he is. We also find that David says that he's praying in the morning. By the way, if we were to scan all of Scripture, people are praying at all different times of the day. People are called, even in the New Testament, we know we're called to pray without ceasing. But here, David defines this prayer as a prayer in the morning with sacrifice, a a way of coming before God with this sense of the day before um, and all that it would hold and praying to God, God, would you would you be moving a, a psalm that would have, could have been then used as a prayer <clears throat> during morning worship, during morning sacrifices? We also find that David says um, that he watches. That not only does he prepare a sacrifice, but he watches. This idea of, I'm praying to you, God, but you are the God not only to be prayed to, but the God who responds and the God who moves And I pray now with expectation, bowing down with voice. Maybe for some of us, we've gotten to where we just list our prayers out. or We just kind of go through, God, uh, be with Matt and John. God, be with Northminster, the whole congregation. God, be with the elders, the deacons. And here, it's not just simply a list. And by the way, lists are wonderful to pray over. But here's that opportunity to go with voice the whole of the voice before, before the great God, bowing down with voice. The second gleaning would be this, bowing down with acknowledgement, bowing down with acknowledgement. Watch what David does in verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful person. Did you see what David did? David, he reflects on God in light of his circumstance. He's up against something, and in light of what he's up against, he thinks about God's very character and reflects on that character. In David's situation, he is encountering people who speak lives, lies, who are bloodthirsty and deceitful, who are seeking his ruins. And, uh, his ruin, in other words, they are enemies. And maybe we have enemies today. Maybe they are peoples or they are people or things or situations that seek to injure, to undo, to overthrow, to confound us. These are adversaries to our well-being. We identify them as opponents and foes and rivals and combatants and threats and antagonists. And from our perspective, they are folks who seek to undermine us. If it's not a person, it could be something like a sickness, a diagnosis. We come up, maybe it's a hardship, maybe a loss of a job, or or maybe it's something like... uh, inflation. And we come up against inflation and we, we feel the weight of it. And it's 
something that is against us. And so as we reflect upon those situations, we acknowledge God's character in the midst of it. To bow down with acknowledgement could also be said to bow down with reflection on who God is in our situation. We acknowledge His character. For David, maybe it's, I believe my prayers in this situation align with what I know of you, God. Or in other words, I am not just praying what I want. I believe, God, I am praying what you want. In checking some various resources on this passage, a number of them referenced another prayer of David's, another psalm, Psalm 143. It's another prayer where David is in the midst of uh, people who oppose him. He is in the midst of adversaries. And, and as he prays to God in that situation, he has these words in verse 2 of Psalm 143. He, in talking to God, he says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. What's explicit there is implicit in, in, in our passage where, where David can call out my, my king, my God. David comes under that himself. And even as he's praying uh, against his opposers, there's that sense of I need to be aware of my own standing before you. And in verse 2 of Psalm 143, he goes, enter not into judgment on me, on your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. Now we know in Christ we're righteous before God because he applies the righteousness of God, but to uh, the righteousness of Christ to us, and yet we also know that no one is without sin. And we too can have that same sense of, even as I pray your character in this moment, that we have the humility of, and yet God, whatever you need to do in, my, in me, please do. The fundamental aspect of this part of the, of the message is that when we pray, we're praying to a real person, a real being. And this real being has a, a known character, a character that God himself has revealed. And as we pray to that very real being, we can acknowledge his character. We can acknowledge what he's about, his mission in this world, even as we pray, bowing down with acknowledgement. In the third stanza, we find this, bowing down with reverence, bowing down with reverence. When was the last time you felt reverence towards something? You know, those who define such words will use the phrase deep respect. You know, if we were to think of our responses as a, uh, a hand of cards, and there's certain cards we like to play a lot. We play certain cards a lot, and, and they just become these common cards. I believe that reverence is one of those cards that doesn't often get played. Oh, we might play the card of enthusiasm. We might play the card of admiration. We might even play the card of respect. But that card of reverence is saved for those moments where there's an object, a one to be revered. There's awe involved. And so David plays this card of reverence. He uses those words of, I bow down, I bow down. 
in fear and showing fear of you, showing this awe of you for who you are. Notice David's posture, the posture. He says words like this, I will enter only through your grace, or in his words, that I will enter only through the abundance of your steadfast love. I will bow down in the fear of you. Lead me in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. It's that decision to decide in prayer which is the greatest of three things. Every prayer that we have, we have ourselves, we have whatever situation we're praying over, and we have God. And sometimes we can enter prayer, and maybe you've caught yourself doing this, that we consider ourselves the greatest of the three. And it's just our wishes, and it's just ourselves. Or maybe we think ourselves so important we don't even begin to pray. Sometimes we might think our situation is the greatest of the three. I doubt, God, you're going to do anything about this. This thing is so big. Can you even do anything about this? This situation is defining who I am right now. And so the decision here is to decide not for ourselves or for our situation as being the greatest, but to acknowledge that God is the greatest, that we revere Him. We bow down with reverence. You know the phrase upper hand? The phrase upper hand? By the way, I looked up the phrase upper hand. I googled it. I typed it in. Did you know that there is a brewery by the name of upper hand? There's uh, several technology companies that use the name upper hand. There's a Houston hair salon called upper hand. There's a British TV series, I think from the 90s, called upper hand. A nail spa. There's even a agricultural genetics, a farming genetics company called Upper Hand. But for me, when I think of Upper Hand, I think of, you know, that little game where you put your hands down and who's going to have the final Upper Hand? Or if you're going to select teams to play baseball uh, and you toss a bat to somebody and they grab it and then you do the, and who's got the Upper Hand? It's a phrase that we say, this is the one who has advantage. This is the one who has authority. This is the one whose word matters, the top dog. And so when we talk about bowing down with reverence, David here acknowledges, God, you are the top dog. You are the one with advantage. Authority and control belong to you, bowing down with reverence. And then in, that, in the next to the last stanza, we found, find bowing down with transparency. Bowing down with transparency. David doesn't hide anything. He just comes out and says it like he sees it and asks for what he thinks is just. So we find those words in verses 9 and 10. For there is no truth in their mouth, Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave calling for the death around them. It's like this trap of, I want death for others. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsel. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. You know, if this were the only word we had on enemies in the Bible, we might think that all we have to do is to pray against them, that that would be God's desire for us. 
But when we step back and we see the larger teaching, the, the big picture, the biblical big picture of enemies, we know there are other words that are said. In fact, it's both in the Old Testament and New Testament. Here's from the Old Testament, Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5, part of the covenant, part of the law. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That the enemy is not just one to be prayed against, but it's the one to serve and provide for their well-being. How about Proverbs chapter 25? Again, a verse from the Old Testament, chapter 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. We know from the New Testament, maybe this was the first passage that came to your mind from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, Jesus taught, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if our enemy happens to be a situation, maybe a hardship, maybe that diagnosis, we even get the words in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials, trials of various kinds. The big picture view of enemies is more than our simple prayer. And yet, we have in the Bible a prayer that gives voice to how we respond to our enemies. That David has this opportunity to pray transparently that, God, when I know of you in this situation is this, what I want in this situation, what I believe is just in this situation is this. And he prays with great transparency, bowing down with transparency, honesty, vulnerability. And finally, in the last stanza, we find bowing down with hope. Bowing down with hope and expectation. Again, it's a prayer grounded in God's own character. And notice as we read it, the plural that takes place. When we read in those final two verses, but let all who take refuge in you, all who take refuge in you, let all rejoice, let them ever sing for joy. God, not only provide for me here, but maybe it May it be something that is celebrated by the whole community and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield, bowing down with hope and expectation for self and all of God's people. This type of prayer this type of prayer is anything but dry or rote or non-existent. It's praying prayers full of God, His character, our worship of Him, acknowledgement of who He is, full of His name, not just repetitively speaking it without meaning, but His name of who He is, who He's revealed Himself to be. It's praying prayers full of you, full of ourselves, full of transparency and assessment and humility and confidence and hope. It's praying prayers true to our situations, real, authentic, applicable, personal, 
meaningful. This week, here's what I would ask of us. This week, would you take one situation that you find yourself in where you feel like there's something that's opposing you, and maybe you've been praying something for weeks on end in a similar situation. Whatever your subject would be, I would ask, would you consider taking one or more of these gleanings into your own prayer life? Assume a posture of bowing down, of your heart bowed down before God. And whatever that particular situation is, would you bow down with your full voice and with full awareness of God, your King? Would you choose then to bow down with full of acknowledgement of God's character in your situation? Would you choose to bow down with reverence in light of who God is? And would we choose to bow down with transparency, pouring out our heart and desires to God? And let us bow down with hope and expectation for God to be and to do nothing less than who He is. Let us, people, let us be a people who bow down in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of David. We thank you for the gift of his relationship with you. We thank you that in your wisdom and goodness, you captured your range for the capturing of many of his words, that we receive the gift of songs and hymns and poems and prayers from previous generations. God, may our own prayer life be full of such things that filled their prayer lives. Would you take us into new realms of prayer before you even this week? We acknowledge who you are, even in this moment. The great God, the good God, who makes himself known, who comes to set his home up inside of us as we follow you. May you hear this prayer, and may you hear all the prayers that we pray this week. In Christ's name, amen.